Rick Madison here with uh, Mr. Shane Warman from Warman Commercial. Welcome to the big show. Thank you. The big show. Big show. Excited. Uh, you didn't aware of what the heck I'm doing. You didn't no, sound okay. excited there. You, That's all I got. One <laughs> level, remember? So I'm, I'm going to share this with the listeners. I've known Shane for a few years, and I know that he has this uh, wonderful bubbling intensity that he he just sits back with. And, and that's that's Shane. And, and I love that about him. OK, explain you were you've been building homes for a number of years. Then you moved into commercial. Now, I, I think you just ride your bike. Is that about right? Unfortunately, not quite. I'm working <laughs> on that last part. Uh, yeah, 30 years this year. 30 years. Went to Kelowna in 92. Really? Okay. Yep. And so from your standpoint, uh, you've seen Kelowna change a whole bunch, of course. Um, and we'll get into that. We'll get into the growth component. But I want to speak to you about the, um, the community building side of things. Like, I mean... You've done a number of, of initiatives, and I, I think for you, your your purpose these days is much broader, if one could say that. So just want to speak about that that aspect of it. Just speak about what you hope to see, uh, and then we'll we'll get into the minutiae a little bit later. I mean, I think that the, the interesting part, being a prairie boy by uh, upbringing, you know, every weekend my parents would be at somebody else's farm, acreage, house, helping out with a project. And then in return, you'd end up back at your place someday. I think that's one of the things that you know, really stuck in me with an, as an adult. And I don't find I do that in my personal life anymore, right? You know, that was big for my parents. Uh, it was their social aspect, but it was also that community building piece. Mm -hmm. So I think that's part of what, you know, what we've always enjoyed and always tried to do when we build for either a client or in the community is, is try and you know, think about what will benefit everyone if we can. And obviously in our business as a developer, hate to use the word, but I will, um, we're not going to please everybody, but we hope we do our utmost to do a good job for, for not just the people we're working for, but the community as well as a whole. And is, is that, uh, that carries through your whole family, I think, doesn't it? That, that mindset? No, yeah, I, I mean, I'd like to think so. You know, I got a 21 and a 19 year old now and, uh, It'll be interesting to see where they go, mm -hmm. and what they do. But it seems like the the family that cycles together stays together. So you could say that the philosophy does carry through. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I mean, kids are sponges. Mm -hmm. So I think I would like to think anyway that that they've watched what we've done and and how we've conducted ourselves, and that that will wear off to some degree. Yeah. Sometimes you wonder, but. Well, as, as parents, and, and I think you're very good parents, is that you realize that they are their own people and that you could only give them so much. You can't force them into any mindset. You can't force them into a perspective. They just have to be shown a particular way. And if they happen to gravitate towards that, then that's great. And if they don't, that's fine too. Yeah, I think so. I think that's all you can do is be that example. Um, and I think when people forget that and just behave the way they behave, that might get them into, you know, then they wonder why their kids do what their kids do. Yeah. I'm, I'm not it? saying that's always, but there's a few, you know, seen that a few times. Well, as someone who's coached minor hockey, you know, there's a reason why they're a screamer <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and you look at their parents, you go, ah, that's where that comes yeah, from. Okay. That, no. that makes a lot of sense. We're chatting with, uh, with Shane Warman. We're going to go over a whole bunch of topics in a bit, but uh, let's take a quick break. 
Rick Madison here with Shane Warman from uh, Warman Commercial, Warman Homes, Community Builder, a whole bunch of other things. So kids are in your business. And, and just explain to me a little bit about what that looks like for you, because I know there's a number of people that have family businesses and they're trying to include the children and they're trying to build a legacy piece, I guess, to their business. A lot of them fail. Have you learned anything by employing <laughs> children's? Well, in fairness, this is the first summer I've had one of the one of the boys work for me. Uh, I have two boys. Uh, one is is interested in the business and keen, and the other is completely not. And that's totally fine. Back to what you were saying a few minutes ago, right? About you know you you build little human beings, and they decide what they're going to do. And I think that's awesome. And I think what we've always said to the kids is we'd actually prefer they don't come into the business because that comes with a whole set of expectations. Maybe it's not theirs. Maybe it's not your own. Maybe it's the people that you've worked for for years that suddenly go, oh, yeah, here, you know, all of those things. Um, but despite our, our best efforts, uh, yeah, our one son seems quite keen to be in the business. So really at an early stage uh, of figuring that out. And so this summer, uh, one is working for me full time and the other part time. And uh, the one part time is only when he has to. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and that's okay. You know, we're totally fine with that. He's, he's a good sport about it despite that. And the others, like I said, is keen, but the challenge will become, you know, what I know about myself is I'm not necessarily the best teacher. Uh, you know, I'll just throw you in the deep end and hope you swim. So well, that, well, that's what is probably that? how you learned? That's probably how you learned a bit of, of project management. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, the neat thing about the way I got into the business, so I didn't really mean to, uh, it just sort of happened. And my dad was there as a uh, extreme help, but he was never overriding. And that was really, really helpful for me because it allowed me to grow and make mistakes, but he was always there to bail me out. Um, not, not that, you know, I ever needed bailing out cause you know, I'm sure I never made no. a mistake. Right? We don't, we don't make mistakes. No. Like the no. time I drove the Bobcat up on the trailer and it came unhitched and I was surfing a trailer down. Yeah. That was fun. Wow. That was you. Yeah. That, yeah <laughs> it didn't go too far. Didn't do much damage. Just a tailgate. Um, yeah. So I think that, you know, that'll be the challenge for us is trying to figure that out. And I've had some conversations with some friends, acquaintances who work with their kids and have worked with their kids or have taken over family businesses. And I, I think they're all different. And I think that what we're very wary of as parents is trying to make sure that we delineate that and make sure that, you know, look, you're our kid first and we love you for that. And the other stuff doesn't matter. And I think where it gets confusing is when the business gets put in front of the family. Yeah. Do, are you able to compartmentalize? And, and so when you go home, there's not. I'm it, pretty good at that, but not maybe not some of the rest of my family. So, okay, okay. so we have, you know, we've had, you know, no. And, and I heard somebody say the other day that when they were working with their family, they, they're allowed to talk about business for the first hour home and then nothing after that. And we're not that separated for sure. But, I, you know, I'm also one of those guys that walks in the door and my cell phone pretty much sits down. Um, I don't spend a lot of time on it in the evening, at least not anymore. Of course, as a new home builder, when I was younger, I had no choice, but. <laughs> well, you do have to be on 24 seven for some of that stuff, unfortunately, or maybe, you know, or you train the customers a certain way. Um, so going forward is, uh, cause that's gotta be a little bit of pressure for 
anybody with your same last name is that they might be viewed differently in in amongst crews or anything that they're doing and you know and i think that might be a challenge for them as well oh for sure i think and I, and even if it isn't a real one it's a perceived one um so i i don't know how you get around that and i don't know how that will be perceived i think it's just like everything right certain people are going to look at you and say you had it easy and you and i both know that you know oh hey there were some struggles going through this it didn't it didn't start out this easy yeah uh, and not that it's easy now it's just a different set of pressures so we'll see i mean you know it's it's early in our journey and certainly from our standpoint as parents there's no there's no need you know if i, I went to a I don't know, speaker one time and you know how speakers often have a have an opinion or you know they're there to talk about something but I did really enjoy this guy because what he said is what what happened in his family is it's, he was third generation and each of the family members each of the dads basically sold their business at a good time for them and the sons were both working in the businesses but they had to then go figure out what they were going to do next hmm. and so each generation ended up starting their own business and each one was in a similar business, but changed a little because each was passionate about another. Interesting. So they they almost started something completely different, but much the well, same. With the same yeah. skill set that they had. Right. Okay. Um, or finding a niche within what we're doing. And so I think that's a really interesting one as well. I talked to uh, a mutual acquaintance of ours one time about it, and, and that's what he had done. He came into the family business, but he took a different tract and started a whole new line within that company. And that allowed him the, you know, the autonomy to build that business. And so therefore, yes, he was working in the family business and, you know, stuff was financed or, or worked through those companies, but it was a standalone business within its own right. right. And it really just ballooned the business that they had. Because what's interesting is if you take over a business, you don't obviously want to have it diminish in any way you want to continue to build on it but if you haven't been there for the fundamentals for the base it's sometimes very difficult because you have that legacy piece behind you that's always a shadow but on the same aspect it's tougher to take risks which is what the founders often did because they saw a trend emerging and they said okay this is where we need to go but if you take something over you're always protective of that that piece so you're you're less likely to risk. Like it's it's very uncommon to have two founders or two mindsets that are risk takers because one needs to protect and the other one is trying to build. So it's uh it's two different pieces, I would say. Absolutely. And I have seen somebody actually somebody said to me once, you know, if you're not expanding, then it's not growth. I don't know if I agree with that. You know, I guess it depends what type of business you're in. And and there's a point where, you know, is bigger better or is bigger different? Um, you know, I won't, about middle of my career as a builder, I'll call it middle, 15 or 20 so years ago, you know, we had the opportunity where we were doing 40 to 50 houses a year. And I hated it because what I became was an administrator. And I lost what I loved, which is actually the creative, the knowing the customer. You know, I had people swearing at me that I didn't even... They didn't even know who I was to see me, mm -hmm. right? They were using my name, which, you know, bad idea to name your company more, you know, with your last name. In hindsight. If you like anonymity, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, that was a point for me where, whoa, wait a minute. That's not what I want out of this journey. 
you know, I want to do a good job. I want to build interesting things and I don't want to be an administrator. I don't want a whole bunch of staff under me. So we, you know, made the decision to slow back down and go back to what we used to do. And that's something we've always tried to do throughout our, our, our 30 years is, okay, we're only going to do so much and hopefully we can do those things well and the rest we'll just say no to. And there's lots of opportunity costs there. Mm-hmm. But I'm okay with that. And that's, a, again, a conscious decision. Because otherwise, you know, you bog yourself down. We're, we've got a contractor right now who's in exactly that situation and he's losing guys left and right. He's losing his sanity, literally, because he's taken on too much work and he doesn't know how to get out of it. He's dug himself in such a deep hole he can't get out. And it's it's sad because this is a guy that's been running businesses for or his business for a long time. And now he's going, OK, there's no fun in this anymore. Mm-hmm. And you lose a piece of yourself every single time you you chase what you think is is probably the right choice, which is, you know, with with money and resources come choices and, and options. But I think for some people right now, they're going through a lot of uh, well. There's growing pains, but then there's just a uh, skilled labor shortage and a whole bunch of other stuff that we'll, we'll cover in a bit. We'll cover in a bit. Uh, Shane, you've in a, in a crazy, I've heard this story a, a couple of times from other people. You managed to go in various places with your family on bicycles across Canada. There was a Europe trip or something like that. Uh, a, why on earth would you do that? Uh, and B, how was it? Like, how was it? Did, well, did it bring the family together or did it drive oh, them no, apart? Absolutely. Loved it. I mean, I think that's why we're as close as we are. Nothing like spending months at a time in small enclosed spaces and, and through all sorts of hardship together and fun um, to bring you together for sure. So, yeah. So, no, we started out oh, just when the kids were little, doing little, you know, we'd camp at um, Rock Creek and we'd take them on their bikes and we'd ride into town and pet the horses along the way and stop and smell the grasses. And somewhere along the way, we did a couple of three-day trips on the KVR and just really enjoy the speed that a bike travels at. Mm-hmm. You know, walking, you know, if you've got something a kilometer to the side and you're not going to walk there and walk back or 5K out of the way, but on a bike, it's manageable. So somewhere on the, along the way, we did those trips with kids when they were on little tag-alongs, when they were like, I don't know, three and five, four and six. Somewhere that graduated to a little longer trips. Then it graduated to tandems. And then we did a trip with my in-laws and my parents in, in Germany for, I don't remember what it was, four or five weeks maybe on the tandems. And we just loved it. We loved it as a family. Like I said, we loved the speed at which we moved. We loved the freedom, uh, the simplicity. You unpack your bag and you have what you have. I do love that part. Yeah, it's nice. Love it. And then we thought, oh, well, one year the kid, one year the school break ended up being really close to Easter. And there was, I think, so we were able to take the kids out of school for a month and they only missed like six or eight days of school. And so we did cross U.S. And that was our first trip. So Across was, the U.S. Yeah, so the southern tier it's called. We started in Florida. And ended in California. Basically, Disney to Disney. And we didn't go to either of the Disneys. Wow. Um, and that was 55 days, 4,900 kilometers. And we got home from that trip and we're like, okay. And, and it was kind of a, someday we'll go across Canada. And we got home from that trip and we just started planning across Canada. And so then we homeschooled the boys. We rode across Canada the next summer. Uh, 8,500K and four months. And it was awesome. Did you ever think at one point during the cross U.S. that 
this is too much. Never. Really? Never. And it was interesting because we would meet people cycling the other way. And most, in fairness, were solo riders. And they were done. One lady, I remember her complaining about the state of the road. She's riding a road bike with 23-inch or 23-mil tires. And it's all that uh, gravel topping on the roads. So she mm. was just rattled to have, you know, whatever. And I remember meeting this guy, and he'd been into a headwind for four days, and he just wanted to get home to his girlfriend. But I think the difference that we have, and my wife and I have done a couple trips on our own now that we really noticed, is when you're traveling with your family, you don't need to be anywhere else. You're with the people you love. You're interacting mm -hmm. with them on a daily basis. And I think that's what made it so great for us, is that we were able to spend time. It doesn't mean you don't miss friends. It doesn't mean you don't miss other family. But when you're with your, your tight core family, yeah, there's no need. You're sharing those experiences with them. And that's, I think, the essence of why we love it and why we've continued to do it. So, yeah. And then, you know, the, the homeschooling thing led to, like, it was awesome. The year we homeschooled, we did Cross Canada and my son was doing a project um, on Louis Riel. Well, we went to see his gravesite when we were in Winnipeg. And, um, and then we did Japan that fall and we, you know, opened the, the book for social studies, grade eight, and there's a, a giant Buddha. Well, we went to that giant Buddha in Japan. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you get a better lesson in life than that? I would love to get your kids on here. Because I would love to hear their perspective on the same trips. And, and not to say that they didn't have a good time. I'm sure they did. But, but I do find that I've, I've suggested to my children we should take trips. Because you're exactly right. There's no one else you'd rather be with than, than your core. But, I, you know, they're like, well, how far is it? And where are we going to go? And when do we get to eat? And, you know, all those stuff. And, and I'm sure a lot of parents are sitting there going, yeah, like, how do you manage kids um did they ever get to the point where they were like you know this is fun but we're done like did they ever get to a, a breaking point never we really in all the trips we've done and we're up to i want to say about forty-four thousand kilometers now of of strictly touring all over the world i think i can remember twice when each of the boys broke down like one each and both of those times were really just like you say, tired or hungry or whatever, solve it and off we go. I would say lots of times they're the ones that, you know, we're riding in the rain for four hours and they're the ones singing behind me and I'm going, God, I hate the rain. Why am I riding in the rain for, you know? So I, I, I think what it is, is when you tell somebody, they don't really put it in perspective. So if we're going to ride, our average day would be 100 kilometers. So you say to somebody, oh, 100K, my kid would never ride 100K. No, but I'll bet if, you if they rode 20K and you stop for a snack, you rode another 25K and you saw something on the side of the road that was interesting. And that's what we did with the kids when they were little at Rock Creek, which was, you didn't make it about, okay, we're hammering from here to there. You mm -hmm. make it about the experience in the day. And, you know, suddenly by noon, you've done 50K and you stop for lunch, you find a nice park. When the kids were little, we, we I mean, the number of playgrounds we stopped at and played in was crazy. I remember once in the, in, on the Germany trip, and I've got both the boys way up this cherry tree picking cherries um, and dropping them down to us. Um, another one in Japan where we were on the, you know, those, they're kind of pointed, they look kind of like a teepee shape, but they're, they're, um, mesh, like big open. Oh yeah. Like yeah. yeah. Climbing on it. Or okay. Yeah. This thing was huge. I could, I'm looking up at my kids 50 feet in here. Oh, I hope they don't fall. <laughs> um, and then after you go for lunch, you do another 20 K and you stop for a snack or you see something along the way and then 20 more and you're done. Like that's your day. Right. 
And I think that's the difference where most people for, you know, maybe yourself and myself, we go out for a 100K ride, we get out on that ride, we put three snacks in our pocket, we hammer it out, we're done in three and a half hours and we get on with our day. But when it becomes your whole day, it's a whole different thing. And I think that's what, you know, for us, because we, when we were little, we were, or when the boys were little, we were cognizant of that. We planned the trip accordingly. So Mm -hmm. we weren't doing 100K when they were little. Yeah. And, 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 and including play in the day is, and, and I hate to say this, well, I, I love playing too, but the key is, is planning for play. And I think some parents, they get caught up in, you know, it's A to B and how quickly can we get there? So then we can enjoy ourselves versus sometimes trips are just about the interruptions rather than the, the end point. Absolutely. So that first trip we did in Germany, was amazing because we flew into the Frankfurt airport. We got on our bikes and right outside the Frankfurt airport, there's a bunch of bike trails. And then we followed the, I think it was the Mines River down to the Rhine. And then the section from Rhine to Koblenz has a castle every kilometer, literally, because that's how they collected the tolls back in the day. Well, I mean, we didn't get very far on that trip for the first few days. And that's okay because the kids were in there playing make-believe in all these castles that they read about in their books. It's funny, though, that what some people don't realize is that sounds romantic and awesome until you realize that every castle is on a hill. Yes, that's true. (laughs) Well, ridden across Canada and the U.S. with his family, who I think you get an award for that. Um, but the other thing I want to chat about is, is you've become somewhat immersed in the space of, of, uh, homelessness and, and, you know, there's an empathetic side to you, which is you caring about the community. So just explain to me or to the, to the audience, I guess, why, why is this, uh, become such a priority for you? Hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I think empathy, I think you know, seeing situation that seems, you know, everybody goes, oh, there's nothing I can do about it. And so, you know, in fairness, I was asked um, to participate in the journey home. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, hummed and hawed about it, right? But in the end, yeah, okay. And so I dove into the space a little and tried to learn, tried to understand. And... Sometimes I can, and sometimes I still get frustrated with it. Well, I, and, and I know that as we get closer into summer and we get into more, I would say a lot of the, the shelters, because in the winter, I, it feels to me as I move throughout the community, you don't see as many homeless, but during the summer months, it really becomes it's, apparent. It's because it's cold out. Well, that's what I mean. <laughs> no, no, that's right, what I mean. Right? You're hiding, right? Whereas so, in the summer, it's easier to be outside. And, sure. and and now we're, you know, it's it's really becoming more apparent to a lot of people that we, you know, it's always been a, a significant issue and a concern for a lot of uh, our community. But now I think it's even getting like some people feel like it's getting worse. It feels like there's more. You know, along the rail trail in various parts of the city, it's becoming a, a, a bigger deal. What kind of advice would you give to people that are perhaps struggling? Because I, I think you asked yourself the question, what can I do? I think the the thing, you know, I come back to what I said way earlier when we talked about, you know, my upbringing on the prairies. And, and I think there was a, a social or there seemed to be more of a social responsibility to others in that time and place. And I don't know if we've lost that. If we all become immersed in our own worlds more, 
if we're less willing to put ourselves out there because we're well, you know, going to get burnt, um, if with some of the complex problems and needs of people out there, their families have given up or they have no family support. And I think that's the thing. I don't know if it's different or, or not than it used to be, but I think there was a lot more family support back in the day, one way or another. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's just, you know, me becoming an old guy and looking back on the old days saying it was easier. Um, but I think it's would be just, you know, what what looking at, I guess empathy would be my first thing, which is, mm-hmm. okay, we look at it and get frustrated and go, what you know, well, that person isn't there because they're enjoying that lifestyle. They're there because it's all they have. So I think that empathy, if you change how you look at it, it, it can be a little, you can view it differently. That doesn't mean you, it, it, it's uncomfortable. There's no question and really uncomfortable for some people because they feel threatened. Um, but I use the, use the example, you know, if, if I'm a single person walking down the street at night and there's a, any group of people gathered on a corner, I'm going to feel threatened. Is it real? Well, it's my son and his friends and they don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't swear, right? But you're going to feel threatened Mm -hmm. because it's different and because you don't know what's going on there. Now make that, you know, some people who obviously have issues mentally, physically, um, how, how do you deal with that? And I think that having empathy will help. And that doesn't mean you need to go, you know, go over and it certainly doesn't necessarily mean you need to hand the money and it certainly doesn't mean you, you know, you, it can't be uncomfortable, but you know, it is trying to put yourself in someone else's shoes for a few minutes at least. And I think that's the key is we don't know what's going on. And, and a lot has been said about each, each particular person is going through a different set of, of situation. I was speaking with, uh, uh, Carrie Rempel, who who did a research paper on the different uh, catastrophic events that can lead to homelessness and how you fix the funnel can actually help prevent a lot of people from becoming homeless. And, you know, uh, a lot of exploratory information on how do we how do we stop that person from ending up where they end up? And I think that's almost where a lot of our society well, it feels like that feels like we can probably move the needle the most is not to say that those people are lost causes. They're not. But it feels like we can make as well, far as impact. Prevention is always better. Yeah. You know, why do we have fluoride in the water supply or why do we used to have fluoride in the water supply? Because we wanted better teeth. And mm-hmm. you know, the dentists are really good at getting that message out there, right? Brush every day and floss and all that. They come up with a different gimmick. What's it? Whitening strips now. But there's always a way to... <laughs> <laughs> but so, it, so I think that, yes, I s- certainly think that like, um, you know, we've been involved through CMHA in the upstream project, which is basically trying to get youth identified. So if you're a teacher in school and you see someone who you think is suffering from abuse, you have, you are obligated to report that. Teachers also see those kids and, and pretty much know some of those kids that are at risk of homelessness or, or are homeless. Now, they're not living on the street. They're surfing couches. They're going to a friend's or doing whatever. But there's no obligation at this point to, or even even the understanding from lots of the teachers, because they got enough going on with all the things they're dealing with every day, to help point that help help point that kid in the right direction. But that's what this upstream project does. It looks at youth and says, okay, how can we help them? Because if you're homeless as a youth, you're, and I don't know the stats, but way more likely to be homeless as an adult, obviously. Mm-hmm. 
so trying to solve some of that stuff is is a really good start. And then I think the stat on, you know, there's obviously a challenge with our um, our government system because kids are in foster care. Then the the percentage of those that end up in a homelessness situation is huge as well. And so again, that stuff that okay, we know where it's happening. Mm-hmm. How do we stop it from getting chronic? And 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 again, it seems like a lot of uh, at times finger pointing because. Um, in a in a chat with uh, ex CAO Ramatusi, he said at at one point, it actually wasn't the municipality's role in homelessness. He well, said we were sewers and roads and yeah. everything else. He just we did we get pulled into it because everyone is talking about it. Well, so. I find it so interesting that people are blaming the city for a problem that is at least provincial, if not federal. Isn't it? Yeah. Right. Oh. What the, we have no budget for that. Does everyone want to raise their taxes a certain percent for their property taxes in order to take care? Of, no. Right. That's what our that's what our income taxes are supposed to be doing. Well, who controls those? Not the city. We should put you on a flight to Ottawa. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? The there was a very uh, I, I didn't even know this about you that. Oh, yes, I did. Uh that you had suffered from cancer mm. and and came through it because uh, you're you're sitting here, yes. And the local cancer center has has done it, it means a lot to you. So just kind of take me through a little bit about you know what a lot of people may or may not know. Hopefully they never have to know about the cancer cancer center and all of its all the wonderful resources available to us. But what what did it mean to you and your family to have this kind of facility in the Okanagan? Well, everything. And I don't think, so not just me, but my wife has also gone through cancer and both of us uh, at 34 years old. Really? We were a couple years apart. I might be the older of the two. Uh, And both of us were able to receive treatment in Kelowna. What people don't realize is that the BC cancer care system in, well, in BC is world-renowned. And some of the research being done here is world-renowned. Um, BC has one of the best outcomes for cancer of anywhere in the world. Uh, and I want to say the best in Canada. If it not, it's right up there, but I think it's the best in Canada. It used to be every one in three people would develop cancer in their lifetime. But they think over the next few years, it's going to be one in two. And part of that is, remember, cancer is a very diverse set of diseases. They're, you know, every cancer is actually different. So although we're calling it one thing, it's a, it's a variety of, you know, whether it's lung or whether it's breast, whether it's testicular, whatever. They're all actually different things. It's really just a cell mutating incorrectly. But in BC, we have the best care anywhere. And if... My wife still to this day volunteers or was volunteering until um, the pandemic hit when they cut off volunteers. And she missed it so much after a couple years away that she actually just got hired as a greeter at the door. So she's now a full-time employee, not a full-time, she's a, a, a flexible employee of the cancer center just so she could go back and, and be in the environment. And that's a you know an odd thing for somebody who's gone through something as traumatic as cancer. But... When you walk down the hall into the cancer clinic, it's a whole different attitude. And the the treatment that you receive here and the doctors we have locally are unbelievable. We're literally world leading in certain things. There's certain um, treatments that we've developed in 
in BC and certain ones that have been piloted and, and tested here in Kelowna. And I think most people don't realize how good it, how good of it is because they're not, you know, they're doctors. They're doing their job. They're not big on on touting their own. They're not. They're not good right? at that. So no. Yeah. So I think that that you know I think that the we were at something the other day and I can't remember what they apologized to Kamloops because it was apparently it was between us and Kamloops of getting the cancer center way back, and we got it. And anyone that that goes through treatment should realize how lucky we are not to have to travel very far. And right now, Kelowna treats everybody from the Kootenays to, I think, as far north as Prince George, Williams Lake. I'm not even sure. Um, so we actually treat in Kelowna quite a, quite a few out-of-town people as well. So where is the physical location of the cancer center? Just just for people that are listening going, I don't know. No, it's right, right behind the hospital. So it's actually, it extends towards the lake. Okay. So it's on Royal Ave just behind. There's a two-story building there that was built. Uh, Cindy Hawkins. I can mm. never say her last name. I'll do. Oh, yeah, yes. No, I know what you're talking about. So, I'm yeah, not even going to try Sorry, Cindy, that. for hurting yes. that. Um, but yeah, so it's right in, in the heart of our our um, our hospital district. And like I do know that we just, uh, that BC Cancer just brought in uh, what is it called? It's called a PET CT. And it's a certain imager, imaging piece of equipment that is even better than a, a regular CT. And they're now looking to add to that and um, able to treat things way better because of it. Hmm. And so, again, you know, trying to stay leading edge in the technology we have right here in Kelowna. What would you say to people that are that, you know, obviously feel the same way? They might they may hopefully it, it, it's uh, missed their family, but. You know, it is widespread. Can can they just go online and, and donate or can they volunteer? Like what, what would be the... Yeah, all of the above. I think the biggest challenge with cancer care is the confusion, right? Because you've got BC Cancer, you've got the Canadian Cancer Society, you've got the, you know, Walk for Breast Cancer. All of these support different charities. But the BC Cancer Foundation is the one that supports locally. So mm -hmm. it's, it's strictly its sole purpose is to invest in cancer care in British Columbia. Canadian Cancer Society does great things, but that's pro that's Canada-wide. The breast cancer, the CIBC run for the cure, I think, right? Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. one, again, is a, is a nationwide um, charity. Right. Where BC Cancer is strictly for uh, work within the province of BC. I heard the same thing that we, uh, again, won out over Kamloops. Like, they've got to get tired of hearing that from us. Yeah, I think there's some news coming. Okay, okay, well. Maybe not any, you know, but, but certainly, and certainly one of the neat things, you know, one of the good things that's come out of, out of the pandemic is we've figured out how to treat remotely. So what they're able to do now is they're actually going to be able to set up, whether it's radiation, not radiation, but they're going to be able to set up chemo and other treatments in remote, not I'll call it remote communities, remote other than Kelowna communities where the cancer center is, and be able to do that with a regular doc or a regular nurse in Nelson, for example, the hospital, hmm. and then just be able to do virtual appointments for that patient. So that will actually really help. Um, you know, it's it's um, it's really helped people to be able to stay at home. Because imagine that you're sick and you're going through treatments and you now have to find a hotel room in some town and pay 
What would we pay in Kelowna for a hotel this summer? Oh, geez. It's way oh, up geez. there last time. I and, and you're already in a vulnerable state. Like you're not, you're not of right mind, your, your no. faculties and everything else. So you're, it's one added level of stress that you really don't need. And we've heard of people not taking treatment because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, there's some great, uh, like there's a shuttle that comes from Kamloops every day to the cancer center. So it picks people up in Kamloops, drives them to Kelowna. They do their treatments. Everybody waits around. That's one of the people that my wife interacts with is all these these people sitting around on their chairs waiting to go back to Kamloops at the end of the day. Oh, okay. So they have a half hour appointment, but they're sitting in the cancer center all day waiting for the, everybody else to be done before they can get a ride back to Kamloops. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. Lots of stuff going on. Covering a lot of different subjects. Uh, I want to throw another one at you just because it's fun. Um, the growth of the city, and and you've seen it obviously move and, 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 well, towers, and the skyline has changed exponentially. In your eyes, are we... Are we building in the right way? Are we, uh, is this something we need to do? Because a lot of people like, you know, it's, it's new for them to see as many towers going up and there's a lot more planned. I know that, that there's more in the, in the pipeline. Is this what we need to do? Or do we need to start thinking about infrastructure and transportation and, and all those things that happen along with growth? Like what, where do you sit in this whole thing? I think I would say to you that I would be probably on the more progressive end of it, of it. And I think what I mean by that is, you know, I'm not opposed to density. I think density in the right places is the right thing to do. I think the thing that our system ignores is the true cost of where you live. So I'll, I'll take a house in Glen Rosa and I'll pick on it for a second. I could pick Kettle Valley, but that might really <laughs> tick some people off. The true cost of living there is the two vehicles you need to have, is the cost of the gas, is the cost of your time to live there when you're taking your kids to activities or to school or to whatever, versus opposed to living somewhere closer to downtown or somewhere you can actually walk to your things. And I think that when people look at homes and go, oh, I can I can buy a house on the other side of the lake or up on the hillside, or I can buy that new home versus an older home, they get caught into that alert instead of saying, okay, what is this really costing me in time? So um, when when my wife and I were deciding to have kids, we wanted to live somewhere we could walk our kids to school. So there's a number of places that you can walk your kids to school. We chose an area that allowed us to do that. The interesting part is it not only allowed us to walk our kids to, to elementary school, but then they could walk to second or middle school, I guess, junior high, I'm still a prairie boy. Um, they could then walk to high school. And ironically, our oldest son's going to the college and he can still walk to college. We didn't really foresee that far into the future when we did it. But, but what that saved us over the years, I, I don't even, I can't even begin to comprehend. And I don't just mean in money because, you know, we're not driving thousands of kilometers a day, but time. Mm-hmm. Um, I choose my office is 700 meters from my home. So I can be home in five minutes walking. And I th- it's not even two full songs on my playlist. I try because I pick a couple ones I like and I don't even get through the And you walk one. fast probably. Yeah, reasonably. You know, yeah. don't dawdle. Um, so I think that that's something that we need to look at. Then if you say, okay, well, I live in Glen Rosa, Kettle Valley. I pay the same percentage of property tax that somebody living close in does. But what is the, what is the cost of that road maintenance to get them to their house and back every day? 
I don't put that same burden on the tax dollars of our city. So I think when you look at infrastructure budgets, when you look at at the true cost of those things, there's actually, you know, I think there there's a valid and real argument that we need to densify in our city centers and close in. And I'm not sure why there's a perception that a tower is evil. I'm not sure why height is evil. I think you know, height done well is is wonderful because it it creates a community. It creates people living in the same spaces. If you look at how vibrant our downtown is, and some people may say that's a good thing, some maybe say it's a bad thing, but that that downtown is vibrant because there's people that live there. And it and it's true too. Like having um, had the opportunity to to walk around uh, Times Square in New York. And I think it was like one or two o'clock in the morning. There was a lot of people around and I felt extremely safe uh, just because people, you know, there's people milling about and everything else. And and there's something that comes along with the energy of population. And it's uh, and it's a good feeling. And I think Kelowna's somehow in the jet stream of the world where a lot of people are trying to move here. So I think like if you go to a city like Santa Barbara, for example, you know, college town. Their downtown is very vibrant and there's all sorts of people wandering around and a great atmosphere around. There's good restaurants, there's good services, there's good whatever, because those students bring that. That's the one thing I would say if, if and I'm sure if you, if you had, I heard you mention you had Ron Matuzzi on before, but I'm sure if you asked him if he had a do-over, you know, it would be, and I guess we're getting the first batch of that with the, with the university putting a building in downtown. But imagine those 8,000 students living in within our downtown core or within one of our central um, city centers, how much different that area might feel mm-hmm. um, and how much different it would feel for them. Because, you know, they go to the co- the university and they're kind of, I'll say, stuck out there in some ways. Right? Yeah, they it's, seem it's, a bit isolated yeah. in some ways. And, yeah. and, and I urge anybody uh, to head out there and see how much new yeah. development. It's crazy, right? Yeah. We're very lucky. We're very lucky. Uh, Shane and I are chatting about various things. One thing I'd like to chat about that we haven't, uh, transportation and the fact that we have, you know, a, as we grow and as we just chatted about, uh, densification is happening, lots of towers, lots of new people. But at some point, we're going to have to move them around the city. Um, what do you think in pods, uh, just throwing them around and in, in massive slingshots, like, what are we going to do? Are we going to build out transit? What what are we going to, what is your thought for the city of the future and the innovation? Well, I mean, good question with all the emerging technologies. I'm not really sure, but I would say to you, if you visit any major city in the world, a rapid transit system of some sort, whether that's Google cars, whether that's a good old school metro, if that's what you want to call it, has way less stigma than taking the bus. And I mean that yeah. in, a, in a good way or, you know, like, like rapid ter- transit is great. But I think that, um, you know, like if I, when I was uh, having to do some business in Vancouver, I'd fly to Vancouver, I'd jump on the SkyTrain, I'd be downtown in minutes. And it cost me whatever it was, four bucks or whatever it was to get on that. Didn't feel uncomfortable on it. It was quick. It was convenient. Um, and I think that, you know, if we look at our valley in general, and I'm talking Oliver all the way through to Vernon and Armstrong, we're a linear corridor. Some sort of transportation system that runs north-south, more or less, we pick up a large percentage of our population. And I think that if we don't go there, back to my earlier comments about the true cost of living somewhere, you know, I said to people, okay, well, we should put a toll on the bridge. 
Okay, I was supposed to get controversial. That'll get you going. <laughs> there but you it's go. true, right? Because that's a cost, right? It, whether it's the time it takes you to get across a bridge, whether it's flowing or not flowing, or it's the cost of, of up, up keeping that bridge up. If When you look at the, and, I, and again, I don't remember the stats, but when you look at the, the study that they did just a few years ago, the amount of traffic that is flowing through Kelowna, it's not end-to-end traffic. It's not semis going from Alberta to Vancouver to the coast. It's local. It's people coming in from Lake Country, Vernon, coming into Kelowna to work. It's people or shop. It's people coming from West Kelowna and Beachland and Summerland coming into Kelowna to shop daily. That's where the burden of traffic comes. So I don't know how you get around that. Um, so that toll, are you saying earmarking that for a light rail system? No, I, I'm just saying it, it comes back to what's the real true cost of living in those places. Hmm. Because again, if you factor that in, if that's free, it's there's no decision to make other than time, which people always discount their own time, I think. Um, but what is our answer long term? I mean, it's obviously not building bigger roads because that experiment's been tried in the U.S. extensively and it doesn't work. Um, really interestingly, Germany and um, I can't remember if it's Denmark or it might be Denmark. Both had similar situations in the, that the U.S. had in the 70s and 80s. And they chose to pivot their strategy away from cars and move it towards bike and rail. Hmm. And both of those countries now have way greener, way less trips, way less average distance for people in vehicles than we do. And they've, they've gone to bicycles. And everybody says, well, I'm not riding my bike in the winter. Those countries have very similar <laughs> climates to what we do. And they somehow managed to do it because the infrastructure set up for it to happen. What's what's interesting, though, is we have, uh, you know, four year cycles for elected officials that could pull the trigger on such an endeavor. And a lot of them raising taxes is is the worst thing in the world. You, you know, you, you basically get vilified if you raise taxes. So there seems to be uh, a, probably a reluctance to be the one to actually install the whether it be a one-time only or or some sort of, because that will cost money out of the coffers. And it seems to be that we have a four-year cycle and, and a lot of times you just don't have that. Nobody wants to take on that that charge because that is such a onerous, well, it's a hot potato, right? And, and you don't want to get thrown out of office for the one even lightly suggesting a, a well, $50 million project. What? Probably more like a billion, but yeah. But again, remember where those dollars come from. They're typically not city dollars. They're usually provincially or federally funded. So again, we're barking up the wrong tree if we're complaining to the local elected official around that. Some of that stuff. The highway through the middle of Kelowna is provincially funded. We don't, every development that gets done within 500 meters of the highway has to get signed off by the province of BC and whether the traffic works or not. So again, you know, that, that highway corridor Again, not the city's. The city can do what it wants with it, or the city can't do what it wants with it because the province determines what it does with it. And not only determine what happens with it, it happens like when the new Costco got built, the new road signals and double turning lanes, that's all the province. Even though that road is, even though Springfield has a double turning lane on it now, mm -hmm. that's mandated by the province because it's how that traffic runs to the highway. So some of that is not really within our purview as local officials as well. You're right. I mean, it, it's a it's a big project. And when somebody starts to talk about it, they get, oh, they're crazy. They're wacky. Mm -hmm. 
But there's a point, and and that's what you know. I've said when I've had conversations around the, the whatever this rapid transit system is, and I don't know if it's going to be Google cars that are just going to drive around and pick everybody up. I don't. I'm not saying we have to get rid of the individual vehicle. We don't, and we never will because it's convenient and we live in a big country. But if we can get some of those local trips down, or um, get rid of some of the vehicles off the road for a few trips of the day, it makes a huge difference. It does. Okay, we've got. We've, we've covered transportation. We've covered uh, just about everything under the sun, but we haven't talked about inflation. And we are facing some very big challenges. A lot of people are, are in that razor's edge of, of really any, any more cost increases for essential like groceries and gas and all that kind of stuff. They're heading down a, a bad road. And we talked recently about homelessness too. Is, is this, is the inflation something that you think is, uh, I mean, are we, are we heading down a road in your estimation? Um, or is this something that's going to be pulled back? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just a lowly builder. What the heck do I know about that stuff? Well, you probably have an opinion because uh, inflation hits a lot of different families and, uh, and, 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 and it is a hot topic. Yeah. I mean, I think that what I've said for a while now, especially in, in the development world, is things don't make sense. I don't understand. Um, I can't make sense of the numbers of lots of the things that are happening out there. So meaning somebody brings me a piece of dirt and says, here, we want to do this with it. I, I can't make a business model for it. I think it's, unfortunately, it's a little bit, some friends and I were talking the other day, and as as uh, as human beings, we're very much sheep. We want to just do what everyone else is doing, and we follow the trend. And I think I heard my first story the other day about inflation um, causing the, the the fall that will mean that house prices will drop by up to double digits over the next year or two. And that's how it starts, and that's where it goes. Right? We're all. Why is everyone buying new homes at crazy, ridiculous prices? I don't know. What's wrong with where they're living? What you know? So it it, it just become it becomes a thing, right? It's a momentum, and when that momentum gets so much, everybody wants to get on board, for good or bad. Mm-hmm. And I think so. What I've said, you know, when this comes to back to the inflation thing, is I think that when it becomes too expensive for somebody to live here, they won't live here any longer. And I've actually, for the first time in thirty years, I've heard. There are quite a few stories I'm now hearing about people moving back to the prairies, to Edmonton, to Calgary, going, you know, I can buy a really nice house in Edmonton and Calgary. I can make the same amount of money I'm making here. I can afford a house. I can afford to send my kids to this, that, and the other thing. I can afford to buy groceries. So I think we, we're certainly at a tipping point in the city with those things that are going to make people think twice. That sunshine tax has always been real, but it might have gotten just a little too high right now. It is true. I was in uh, Medicine Hat and they said, yeah, our, our house prices have gone through the roof. And I said, what do you mean? They said, well, used to be able to buy that bungalow for about 180, 200 grand. Now you're paying 350. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> but that's that's true. Like yeah. a lot of people are going, wait a second. Our average house price is over a million bucks. Yeah. yeah. How does a normal family pay for that? Well, I'm I'm thinking that uh, we got to come up with some some other ideas, but and we'll figure that out on this show, guaranteed. <laughs> Better get a different guest. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, we've had some heavy subjects here. We're gonna we'll switch it up. We have the 
Basecamp card game. If you haven't heard of it, go get one. It, it entices the family around the table to chat more about various things. So I'm just going to throw a card from the deck. And this is a hilarious one for, for Shane because I know he, he probably doesn't even have one. But maybe he does. The question is, what is your favorite hobby? Bike riding. <laughs> but that's <laughs> not a hobby. What's a hobby? Why not? Oh, jeez. I don't know. Why wouldn't it be? Well... And how many Ks do you think? People, how many Ks do you do in a week, just for fun? Uh, it depends on the week. Not that many. A hundred, couple hundred, maybe. You suck. Maybe. Um, and, and it's a hobby. A hobby well, is something you do when you're not working, right? Okay. Yeah, oh, I don't know how this happened. The, uh -huh. the next card here is uh, describe the favorite amenity of your dream home. I can tell you what mine is. Yeah. The instant hot water heater. Really? Like the for tea? Oh, like, like one of those. Psh, like it's it's right there. You have to warm up the kettle. You're. I feel quite affluent when I have. I don't have one in my current home. Uh oh. But when I had one, it was actually pretty awesome. Yeah. What's your favorite Saves amenity? You on the fridge. <laughs> you you what? are not That's a good, good one. You are not no, good at this. Why not? What's wrong with that? You are not. Your you don't like your fridge. If you're going to give up something and you didn't have a fridge in your house, what would you do? Well, I guess it's because I've taken it for granted for so long. Exactly. So why? I didn't. See, I've, I've embraced the 1950s technology that is a refrigerator and said that's the most important thing in my house to me. Oh, because I, if you go a week without cold water or any way to oh, keep your food from spoiling. I instinctively know the, the uh, high uh, road you just took. Uh, Thank you very high much. High road? You did take the high road because I am. I love extravagance. I see. I, I I just when I do get it, I'm like mimosas. Let's do that, you know. And and you are not jumping on board here. Okay, so this is the last question because you are not doing well. Um, when is the best thing that happened to you during the past week? It's a short week, but let's. What's the best thing that happened to you in the last few days? Um, <laughs> Other than this radio show, yeah. Well, there's that. Uh, the the Sunday Saturday family ride. Okay, and where did yeah. you go? Uh, where did we go? Uh, I think we just we went up Knox and then out over towards Glenmore and back. We had a short period of time. We had to stop at Home Hardware on the way home to get. My son had to buy some gifts for something he was doing that night. But <laughs> at Home Hardware, I, yeah. <laughs> they were good practical gifts. You see where you're going with my family here, right? Refrigerator nope. and practical gifts. It was, you know, sorry, but yeah, it's way yeah. we, we roll. Okay, so let's just say somebody on this radio show has an e-bike. Okay, it might name might rhyme with Rick. Anyway. Can I ride with you with an e-bike, or is that consider? Or are we two separate people? No, no. I think anybody, anything that gets people out is a good thing. So you should see. Should you be on, on an e-bike? Should, should you be on an e-bike at your age? <laughs> you know, you should be able to maintain a level of anyway, the smirk no, on his face. You no, should see. I, um, I'm on board with e-bikes. I, um, I think the. The, my wife and I have this standing joke. When you see somebody coming at you, sitting up very straight with a big smile on their face and they're doing 30K an hour, they're on an e-bike. But they look like they're having a blast and that's all it's about for me. Right? That is true. That is and true. For me, the spin in the legs, the wind in the face, the, yeah. See, part so. of it, and, and, and you can believe me if you want, I'm hyper uber competitive when it comes to sports. So I play hockey a few times a week. And I think in my head, and I'm probably wrong, but anything that 
tuckers me out prior to or after the game inhibits my performance in some way. I can't, and again, I'm not getting paid to play. I'm not very good, but at the very least, I feel like I'm giving myself an edge. (laughs) So let me get this straight. Your old timers fun hockey game. Yeah. Is what's impeding your willingness to do real exercise the rest of the week? Yeah. Yeah. Because if if I don't perform at a level. Just wrong. I may not put the whole team on my shoulders. Obviously. I, I can we have your team in to have that conversation? I don't think I'm so. Thinking I think they wouldn't care. We're all booked they up, Shane. If you shorter shifts, that would all be okay with them. I think. <laughs> uh, retirement. What does that look like for you? Are you gonna? Are you going to retire? Or are you just gonna I keep? I sure hope so. Yeah. I, I have no idea. I think that you know, retirement for me is is would be being able to do things that interest you all the time and and that you want to do. Um, I still love to create. I still love to build. Well, a little less on the build side, more on the create. Okay. Um, Can so you create think, in other avenues then? Oh, maybe. I mean, I think, you know, the other thing too, obviously for us, we've been a builder and that it's the day-to-day, just like anybody's life, I'm sure, right? It's the day-to-day that grinds you down. But if, you know, if I, if I could do the stuff where I get to do the design, come up with what's going on the lot, you know, that would be pretty fun without having to actually execute the building side and not, you know, in fairness, I have really great people that work with me and that, that do a great job of that anyway. But that's still, it's just like anything in life, right? That's the daily grind. So you would take uh, that that daily grind away and just be able to focus on the stuff that, you know, gives you... Well, I, I think it wouldn't anybody. Oh, for sure. That's, there's parts well, I don't know if that's idea. called retirement or that's just called where we'd all like to be in our lives, but... Yeah, but you still, you, know. you hear the stories of people that retire and then next year they're just gone because they... You know, seemingly they've lost some purpose in their life because work gave them purpose, so they don't know how to retire. Yeah, and I think that um, one of th- one of the things that I would say that I am most proud of as a human being, you know, is I've had lots of people over the years that take note of how I've spent my time with my family and how I don't just live for work. And I'm not saying I don't work hard, but I play hard as well, and I've spent. Uh, you know, fair chunk of time traveling the world with my family on bikes. Um, and I would say that, you know, how did I do it? And they, and I, I said, well, I, you did it and you planned for it. And over the years, you know, I'd have a customer that I was in mid house building a house for and I'd say to them, Hey, I'm going away for four months. <laughs> and you could see that look in their eye going, Oh, oh where's, how's this going to go for them? Then they went, yeah, I really wish I'd have done that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the opportunity. Like I've had people say, oh, you're so lucky with the things you've been able to. And you it's love not, it when people say that. Yeah. It's just something to do with luck. It's, you You know, hey, how many people say, oh, I'd love to do. So why aren't you? Yeah. And I think that that to me would be retirement is going, okay, this is what I want to do. And here's what, you know, okay, well then make it happen. So I don't know that that changes a lot. Yeah, and, but, and you, you raise a good point, which is uh, a friend of mine went to Italy and they were, you know, they thought they were kind of a big deal in, in the Okanagan. Went over to Italy, there's this whole separate world, a whole busy metropolis and people moving around, a culture they haven't immersed themselves in. And they came back and they booked two or three other holidays, given the fact that, wait a second, I'm not, like, I'm micro dust in the world as it as it as it stands and they kind of gave themselves a a feeling of you know just where do i fit in the whole world and and it's a really small place and we all have this 
grandiose idea of how much, oh, if I'm gone, I mean, What's the world would stop turning and, and really it, it would carry on. And, and I think that's the other part of it is we're not, we're not really that. Well, we, I mean, again, we want, you know, I think that's part of what the, the ego piece that goes with the work, right? We work because that's our identity. And I think that part of what I think that perspective piece is that it's not, and it shouldn't be. And there should be other things to make that balanced. And, you know, being able to ride bicycles all over, you know, sounds extravagant, but it's it's not an expensive way to travel. That's true, actually. <laughs> right? You're, you have your flight and you have hotels or campgrounds. And so it allows you to spend that time doing, you know, I don't have an expensive rental car. I'm not going out for really expensive dinners every night in a, in a city. I'm not paying massive hotel bills for, you know, whatever, a week in New York City. So you sit in a saddle so, for like six hours and then you don't book a hotel room. No, we most of the time we do book hotels. I most would say time. so. Yeah, but I book them ahead so that I can enjoy my trip oh, while I'm gone. Because there's no way. That's better than a shower at the end of a day. Right? Yeah. 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 No, I I will not do a, a bicycling trip without a hotel. There's just no way. And 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 you know what? If that makes me no, no, I anything less, no, so no. be it. Hey, my buddy and I just did five days, and that's you know we stayed in some of the most remote places in northern Idaho and Washington. Yeah, had a blast. That's how you meet people. Yeah, and some characters. Oh, I bet. <laughs> uh, and uh, we've had a wet spring, hey. And I keep telling people it's fire suppression. And and they still don't like it. But have you have you done okay through this this wet spring? Have you managed to uh, layer up and still get out there? Or are you I'm made of sugar eh? so. Oh, yeah. I am. There's nothing sweet about me actually. <laughs> you know, that opinion's probably shared. But not made out of paper mache either, I guess. No. Okay, so no, you, you just okay. keep going out. It's no big deal. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it hasn't. I did. You know, we were talking about it on the weekend and. It has seemed like an odd spring, like usually by this time, you know, lots of morning rides with swims in the lake after. And I've literally only dipped my toe so far this year. Um, yeah. Doing all right. Would, would you suggest that uh, it's, I, I think we're going to have like, I don't know about you, but I've booked a lot of trips away from the Okanagan during August yeah. because it seems to be a lot more smoky. And, and this year I'm booking a lot more trips in the interior just because it seems like i, I think we're going to actually going to have a better knock on wood uh fire year well, than gotta, other years you gotta think with as wet as it is eh? i mean we were just riding with a friend in northern washington and just into idaho and i was riding i think wow it's so much greener here than home and wow this is quite a, and then i got thinking i thought well, maybe it's because I've been riding for three days in the pouring rain and this is unusual. And maybe, you know, then I get home and it's like, oh, the hills are still pretty green here, aren't they? Yeah. So, yeah, I think maybe uh, hopefully means for a much better fire season or lack thereof. Because remember this time last year, right? We were already burning up, I think, weren't we? Oh, yeah. Well, pretty we had quick, 40 think, degree right? heat yeah. already. Yeah. yeah. So is this climate change? <laughs> like, I build things, man. I don't know. I know about it. Yes, the climate's changing, <laughs> and it'll change again tomorrow. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I know you're just a builder, but uh, municipal election, it's coming up. Is there any, if you were to create, and not saying we don't have them as incumbents, but if you were to build the perfect candidate, what, what, um, what personality traits would they have? Like, what kind of qualities would you want 
in someone applying you, to serve the community. You know that I stand in front of council all the time, so I'm not allowed to have an opinion. I know that's what <laughs> makes this eminently interesting. Oh yeah, backing me in a corner. No, but I'm saying. No, no, I'm saying. Know, we I have mean, I think. I, I think just a, a, a you know, a perspective. And and I think um, I think that's important because I th- and empathy because I think that as much as some of the community looks at council and the decisions they make and says, well, they don't care. I, I wouldn't want that job. Right? No. I mean, they have to balance everyone's needs and what they, you know, what their decision is. So, so I think, I think the, the other one would be conviction, but conviction based on knowledge, let's call it science and knowledge. Sure. Let's go with that. Cause you know, there's some politicians out there and I'm not saying locally, but you know, they'd have conviction, but, they should be convicted, I think. But, you know. <laughs> so one, th- Maybe one thing. Maybe a little south of the border I'm talking there. But. Yeah, a little south yeah, of the border there. Yeah. yeah. The one thing that's uh, an interesting point that, uh, again, uh, Ron Matusi brought up when, when he, he's seen hundreds of, of council meetings is he said, sometimes a decision is made that's simply less evil than the other one. And, and he he says a lot of people think that there's this good evil thing that you, you know, one just shines and the other one doesn't. And sometimes it's just that tough to make a decision. I think it, I honestly, I think it's gotta be that hard all the time because you can you imagine you're sitting there with somebody and I mean, I, I've been on sitting in the audience waiting for a development to be approved. And I watch the person that is going to be living next to what I'm building. And, and I, I empathize with them. I a hundred percent do. Right. They've been living in their house for 20 years and, but again, you know, we have to accommodate all of those people that are moving to Kelowna. So that little house in the middle of Pendozi or in the middle of Glenmore or whatever, you know, that's now got to be a multifamily neighborhood unless we want to, you know, cut down all the trees and keep moving up the hillside and building bigger roads. So, you know, it, I think like I can't imagine how they even make some of those decisions. And I th- think that I would say that, uh, you know, as I've watched councils, I, I always find that council ends up. What I would say, most of the time, they make the decision for the better good of the, the, the overall community. Will that be a bad decision for some occupants of our community? Yes, it will. Or a hard one, maybe not bad, but hard, yeah. But I, I think when yeah. when you watch what they have, what you know, like if you actually listen to both sides of the of the the conversation, there's hardly any that are easy. <laughs> the, you know, and and I'm not gonna frame the the scenario but i was at a council meeting and there was somebody that was um doing something that was seemingly uh almost it was wasteful but on uh, then when the 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 person spoke i was like actually i kind of see their perspective and then but then the city staff spoke about the fact well they're actually having this uh, impact on their their neighborhood and then they spoke again I was like oh but actually they've got a perspective too and I was like oh my god like to do this on a regular basis my head flip-flopped twice and I I consider myself a pretty decisive person but I was sitting there going take this job please because it is awful so, the best one I ever heard or the worst one I would say actually it was I was embarrassed for the people that were there there was a lady that wanted to put a suite in her house and this was before suites were legal and so um the the six or eight neighbors that were right adjacent to her there and she had a job where she managed an evening venue uh totally legit 
evening venue. Just <laughs> I can see where you're going, right? But it was well, you know, owned by the city of Kelowna. Anyway, okay, totally legit venue. They started calling into her lifestyle choices because she was coming home late in the evening. The lady that lived right next door was complaining because she was using power tools to fix her fence, and that was disturbing the pet occupants of her home. Like, where is this going? I, I'll keep a lot. Like, so this poor lady, they called in, into question her sexuality, her hours of life, her lifestyle choice. All she wanted to do was rent a room out to help her pay for her house. And the pet occupants? Yeah. Turns out this lady, lady's breeding guinea pigs, and the, the drill was disturbing her guinea pigs. Oh, that's what she was there complaining about. And the beauty of it was that it turns out she had an illegal <laughs> guinea pig breed, <laughs> something like that. She got busted a few weeks later. Anyway, it was just one of those things. Whoops. It was just so she had a on. guinea pig mill. Yep. Going on in the second bedroom next to this poor lady who wanted to have a sweet in her house. Yeah. And so the, the guinea pig thing took precedence over finding a home for some an affordable house for somebody to help two people I, live in their community. I do think a highlight reel of all of the antics of, of oh, a council yeah. meeting yeah. would take my attention and I would eat, I would I would order popcorn for that. So Shane, thanks for spending the time. It was it flew by and uh you know what I don't know if I learned any. No, I did learn some, but um, I really appreciate the uh, the time. And I, I thrust you into some perspectives on things that, you know, as you said, you're just a builder, but you still brought a thoughtful comment. So I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, I think. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> well, listen, you, uh, you have, um, I, I would say there's a couple of things I know about Shane. Good family man, good builder. And uh, perhaps one might even say, "You, I'm going to get you on an e-bike, though. I, I think that's something where we need to go. Nope. No, some reason I don't smoke or drink or anything. You know, I have an addictive <laughs> personality, and I don't want to get stuck on one of those. I think you're going to have. But a you lot can of come fun. for a ride with me. I, you know what, I but will. I will drop you at 35 because your regulator's going to. I know the regulator. It's killing me. So I'll find out a way to get around that. But uh, had a good time <laughs> and <Hello> think. <laughs> Fuck your appointment today. Actually, that's a good. <laughs> I'm gonna check that out. Uh, thanks again Don't to Shane. Part, right? we're, we're gonna edit this whole thing. I know. That's okay. good. Uh, take care, Shane. Thanks very much.